0: Hi there, and welcome to the Body Storytelling Podcast. I'm sexual folklorist Dixie Delatour, and this week we have a story from love warrior and community connector Julie Barr. It's me again. I know I haven't been very reliable lately because <laughs> I really just don't know what to do with myself. I'm usually incredibly reliable, but right now I'm kind of fallen apart this is the darkest hardest time I've ever experienced and I haven't known whether I should inflict this on you I mean the pandemic ate my career everybody I care about has died recently um so I vacillate in between I have to get this out of me and what's the fucking point I've been staying away from my computer lately but this morning, I looked at it, and the first thing that popped up was some clickbaity thing that said, Homeless man breaks down when people raise $15,000 for a house for him. And I thought, maybe people like it. Maybe that's what people want watching you break down. It definitely makes us click on things, doesn't it? And I am not a clickbaity sort of person. One of the reasons I'm so attracted to what I do is because it's real. So even though I may lose my energy in the middle of this, because that's the thing about what's the point, it'll catch you in the middle of a sentence. I'm gonna tell you what's going on anyway, because I planned an episode for you last week and it didn't happen because, (laughs) well, here's the backstory. I just had my birthday and it fell on Mother's Day and The last three years, my birthday events have fallen apart. Either the entire planning team got COVID or my partner dumped me on my birthday or my mom died and it's Mother's Day on my birthday. It's been a lot of that. So this one was hitting me super hard. Number three in a row of shitty birthdays. Everybody keeps asking me what I want to do. (laughs) Wanted to take me out for a mani-pedi or feed me something. People ask what kind of cake, and I'm like, what's the fucking point? Don't even make me a cake. I don't even care. So I didn't get a cake, and it's my own fault, but I just don't wanna be a burden on anybody. It's hard for me to ask for help, and I did it a few months ago, and it was a terrible experience, and I got knocked down because we're all in a bad place right now, but it's making it really hard for me to reach out. So I'm not, I'm hibernating. I don't answer my phone. I don't answer my texts. People send me poppy, cheery messages. They're like, hoping that it's all turning around for you. And this year is gonna be the best year ever. And I wanna throw my phone across the room because it feels like a lie. It doesn't feel like that can happen. I'm gonna tell you now about the thing that was going to distract me from my birthday this year. I had a plan and the plan revved me up, I don't know, for days. The entire week up to my birthday, I felt hopeful, which I haven't felt in a long time because I made a plan and if you know me, I love to have ideas and make them come to fruition. That inspires me, that makes me giddy. So here's the story. A little over a week ago, I went to the Celebration of Life for Jen Angel, the Oakland baker who was killed in a robbery in Oakland back in early February. Jen and I were friends, and they had a system where you could go on to Eventbrite and reserve a ticket to her Celebration of Life so that they know how many people would come, but it was a free ticket. So I get a ticket because I know she was incredibly popular and... It's unlikely I can change my mind at the last minute and go, I better do this now. So I get a ticket. And as I approach the date of her celebration of life, I'm like, am I close enough to her? Should I take a seat from somebody who was probably her best friend? Yes, we knew each other. Yes, we hugged each other. Hello. Yes, we admired each other's communities and work. But that doesn't mean I should take up space at her celebration of life. And then it occurred to me, Sunday, the day of the memorial, well, this is a place where I can be around people and I can cry and nobody's gonna think it's weird and I can't stop crying. So maybe I should go after all. And I tried to creep in. I was headed to the table so that they could check me off because yes, I did register for a ticket. And I got this huge fanfare of people who were like, Dixie, which made me feel less like an imposter. And it felt good. And a bunch of friends were like, come sit with me, which felt good. And y'all, this celebration of life, this was the best celebration of life. I mean, I feel like I've been to a lot of people's memorials lately. This is the best one I've ever been to. There was a plant giveaway. Take home a plant. There's a huge table in the lobby full of plants. There was a storytelling room to tell stories about your friendship with Jen and about things that you remember about her. There was a wall that had a timeline of her life. And you could have craft supplies and make something to add you on to Jen Angel's timeline. I thought that was really, really brilliant. The planning committee had asked everyone to make chocolate chip cookies because Jen loved chocolate chip cookies. She was a baker. And you have never seen this many chocolate chip cookies in your life. There were at least a thousand. Some were sugar free, some were gluten free, some were dairy and sugar, some were, you name it. They were marked clearly, and there was a fuck ton of them. There were 600 people at this memorial. There was music, songs that were written about Jen Angel she was a big activist and social planner and organizer she was really big in restorative justice i'm sure i'm not doing her bio justice but she was an activist and had been for her whole life and it just felt so incredible all these people who were touched by her who had flown in from all over the country as the speakers started getting on stage to talk about jen's work and her life There was a person two seats down from me who just sobbed uncontrollably. Sobbed from the minute he sat down till they let us out to do a second line march around Lake Merritt with a brass band and the Oakland Gay Men's Choir leading us. He sobbed the whole time. And when we went to break, I said hi we've been I, uh, he, just, he would just sob and sob and eventually I just put my hand on his shoulder and he just said thank you thank you thank you thank you and just sobbed harder and I grabbed tissues and I brought them to him and he was so thankful for that I kind of felt like I knew this person I felt like that's who I've been a lot lately at a certain point I said how did you know Jen and he said I knew her when we lived back in Ohio in middle school she and I played spin the bottle and he just broke down crying, talking about it. Middle school, and he had flown across the country to be at her memorial. I was so impressed with her impact on these people's lives. And as the speakers started taking the stage, I forgot about crying and I was just lost in the stories. And the third speaker to get on the stage was Jen Angel's mom, this sweet little old lady tottered up to (laughs) tottered up to the podium and when she started speaking I fell in love she would say my daughter's first zine when she was in her teens was called fucktooth and the audience would just laugh at her saying dirty words and she just had this wry comical that's my daughter kind of look on her face and it was so endearing she probably spoke for 10 or 15 minutes total But I was in love by minute three. And I started forgetting about myself and my problems. And I started thinking about this woman's Mother's Day because the memorial happened one week before Mother's Day. And it was so clear that they were so close. And it was so clear that I don't know, it was clear to me because I've had so much focus on this coming day, Mother's Day because it was also my birthday and my mother died. I just kept thinking, in one week this woman's going to be alone, there's 600 people in this room showing her love and celebrating her daughter's life and she won't have that in a week. It'll be her first Mother's Day alone. And I just kept thinking about that. And at a certain point, probably minute five, I was like, if I were going to celebrate Mother's Day, I want to send that woman a card. I want to remind her she's not alone, that I feel close to her, even though we've never met. And as ideas tend to take root in my mind, it went from, (laughs) here's the event organizer in me, it went from I want to send that woman a Mother's Day card to, I had to register for an event list and there are 600 people in this room, which means that 600 people have enough time to send her a Mother's Day card and for her to get it by next Sunday on Mother's Day. And I got obsessed. <laughs> and the minute we went to break, I started trying to find the organizers because I was going to make that happen. I was going to see this through. I started walking up to people and go, okay, you're one of the organizers, right? Who's in charge of the event bright list? I don't want the event bright list. I want to find a way to send out a message to everyone who signed up for this event so that we can get started on getting that woman hundreds of Mother's Day cards on her first Mother's Day without her daughter. It would have been good to bring a tissue while I was recording a podcast and have it right here. But yeah, like I said, my mind's not so great. And eventually I found the person in charge of the event bright list. And everyone I had talked to, by that time, I had talked to 10 on the organizing team, thought, oh, that's a great idea. You're right. Next week is Mother's Day. And eventually I found the person in charge of the event bright list and told her, and she was like, That is a great idea. And then I decided, why don't I make it easy for them? I could tell them my idea and they'd be like that's a good idea or i could write the fucking email to go out to the list cuz i have a very personal story attached i could tell them what i saw in that room i could tell them what why this feels important to me that she have a great mother's day at a certain point i walked up to her mother pat and i told her she was an incredible public speaker and how in awe I was of her. And she admitted she'd been coached. And I'm like, getting coached on a story is very important. And you did a great job. And she said, could I give you my email address? I'd really like to stay in touch. And I'm meeting 600 people right now. And I can't track anybody. And if you do send me an email, will you send me a picture of yourself so I know who you were? And I kind of like tried not to laugh in her face because I just spent the last two hours trying to get her address so that I could organize mother's Day cards I'm like of course of course I'd love to have your email address I'd love to do that so this past week has been a quest to try and make that happen I wrote an email I can't be succinct right now so honestly it was a page and a half long probably talking about why I wanted to overwhelm this woman with love and I sent it to the organizers, and they had to vote on it. (laughs) There was a team, the team had to approve it, and finally about Thursday night I got an answer. Well, the card would have to arrive on Saturday in order to be there for Mother's Day, so I pretty much had acquiesced to the fact that my plan was going to fail, and it said that apparently there had been some trolls on social media who were very bothered by Jen's social activist work and that they felt like it wouldn't be safe to put her address out there, even to the 600 people in this room who loved her daughter because they're dangerous people in the world. And that's why she didn't get 600 Mother's Day cards. That knocked me down. And I was just angry. I was so angry I couldn't fucking function. (laughs) On Friday or Saturday, I was just like, screw it, why bother? And guess who hadn't mailed their Mother's Day card to her even though I had her address, yep, me. So I went out and bought a Mother's Day card and I took a copy of the email that I had sent out to the list to let her know that I had tried. And I wrote her a card and said, I really wanted to give you an incredible gift. And I'm sorry I couldn't make it happen. I feel like I failed. I hope you have an incredible Mother's Day. Please know that all the love in that room last Sunday was for you too. And I didn't, I never got her email address somehow. So I still didn't have that. So I couldn't be in touch. So it's Saturday headed toward evening. It's about to get dark. And I'm like, well, if it's gonna arrive on Mother's Day, then that means that you're gonna have to drive it to Oakland. I filled out the card. I put the letter inside and she'd asked for a photo but I didn't have her email address and I didn't have, because I have facial blindness, I felt like it might be important that I be in the outfit she met me in because when you change your clothes when I meet you, I often don't know who you are. Clothes are a lot of the social cues that I have to know who people are. If I see you naked at a sex party, I don't know who you are. So I drove to Oakland. And as I was headed out the door, I was like, God, I wish I had that picture she asked me for. And I found I found the body storytelling sticker that Mark Stephen Enman had made of me, which was me holding the body storytelling logo. And it was my face. It was a cartoon, but it was my face. So I sealed the envelope with that. And I drove to Oakland and she was way up in the hills and I got so lost. And as I finally pulled up in front of the house and parked, I was like, OK, that's the house. I'm just going to drop it on the porch and hope it doesn't rain. I'm not going to ring the doorbell. I don't want to interact. I'm not ready for this. I don't want to spend any time with human beings. And she was out in the yard trimming flowers. And I'm like, well, shit, I'm caught. And I said, hey, Pat. And she goes, oh, my God, Dixie. And I'm like, you remembered me? And she goes, oh, yeah, I definitely remember you. I know who you are. And I said, I wanted to bring you a card. I didn't get it in the mail in time, and I didn't have your email address. And she said, well, we're going to fix that. And she made me write down my phone number on the card so that she had it, because her phone was inside the house. And we stood and talked for a while. And she said, you know, they're having a small gathering. I decided to stay in Oakland for a while. And they're having a small gathering tomorrow and you're invited. We want you to come for my Mother's Day gathering. And we know it's your birthday too. And I said, I know, I was already invited by the people that I've talked to on the team. I just can't, I just can't. I can't be social, I can't stop crying, I can't. I mean, we had some of the longest hugs during that 20 minute conversation. They were long awkward hugs. And I felt like even if I'd failed, I did get a Mother's Day card in her hands for Mother's Day. (laughs) That was my birthday, (laughs) y'all. There was some activity on the actual birthday day, but I don't want to talk about it because I just felt so antisocial and so awkward. And it wasn't great. So let's leave it on that. I succeeded in getting a Mother's Day card into a woman's hands who had just lost her daughter. So that's my success. And I'll tell you, I'm gonna try and be regular with this podcast, but podcast sponsorship has really dropped and I'm paying out of pocket for the podcast. And more than that, my attitude is just not there. I just feel like such a failure, I'm floundering. Like I said, things are so dark right now. And if you're the person who would have clicked on that link that said, Homeless Man Breaks Down, well, here you go. That was my breakdown. That was a long breakdown, wasn't it? On one final note, if you're one of the people who has signed up for the Substack I created, which is also called the Dixie Ramble, it hasn't started yet. I created it and started to build toward it. And my intention was... I am going to find a way out of this depression and I'm going to document it. That was my plan. It might be drugs. It might be journaling. It might be making other people's lives better. That's usually my favorite way. And I had a bunch of people sign up for the Substack for Dixie Ramble. And then my mother died. So yeah, it'll happen. It's just not going to happen until I get my shit together. I want to say thank you for listening. This can't have been easy for you. If you sent me a voice memo or an email recently, I'm sorry I haven't gotten back to you. But right now, it's just so fucking hard. Well, it's time for a story. And I really wanted a story that tied in, in some way, to Jen Angel, the person whose celebration of life I went to this week. It was such an incredibly moving service. And... As I listened to the people speaking on stage, and one of them said, Jen Angel was my best friend. She completely changed my life. And I realized that she'd been on my stage. So this week, we've got Jen Angel's best friend. Let me tell you about her. Love warrior and community connector, Julie Barr has worked for over 30 years with children, families, adults, and couples to create richer, more rewarding relationships in all areas of their lives. She's comfortable working with the LGBTQ and kink-slash-poly communities, persons exploring any life stage, couples wanting to repair their intimacy, and individuals working around a greater sense of meaning and purpose in life. Several years ago, she wrote a blog as Jezebel J for Good Vibes magazine as one of the Sexy Mama guest bloggers. Plus, over the last few years, Julie has led workshops, groups, meetups, and community events focused on relationships with a goal to increase connection and promote community. This storyteller is Julie Barr.
2: starts at the end of a party. It's been a long day of drinking and partying and smoking and hanging out with friends. And I'm starting to think about where I'm going to put down my sleeping bag and lay down my weary head. I go to the kitchen. I get a drink of water. And I feel a presence behind me. Like, I feel that presence behind me. And I turn around. And there's Miller. Oh, God. Oh, God. He makes my heart flutter every time I see him, and he's there in front of me again, alone. And I say, Miller, where's your girlfriend? And he said, she's passed out drunk. I put her to bed. I don't think she's gonna get up again. Oh. That was the moment I knew my evening had just begun. (laughs) Well, I'm gonna go back. I met Miller a year ago. I was 16 years old, and I decided to apply for a job as a junior counselor at a summer camp, YMCA, summer camp in Ocoee, Tennessee. I'm a Tennessee girl, and (laughs) I got the job, believe it or not. They hired a 16-year-old to take care of little kids. Whew. For six weeks of my summer, I had the most freedom I'd ever had in my life. <laughs> I, yeah, I had to take care of the kids. And when we showed up, the director said, there's a few rules. You, you make sure the kids are safe. You make sure they're having a good time. And then the rest of the time is yours. Well, I was in nature, I was near a lake. It was sunny, it was hot, it was humid, and I was having the best time of my life. I think I spent most of the time in a bikini top and jean shorts that were cut off real low. None of the kids cared, but the counselors liked it a lot. (laughs) So on the weekends, (laughs) we got to take advantage of that. My cabin mate, she was the senior counselor, Her name was Suzanne. She was a 21-year-old woman, and she was in charge, but she led our group like I'd never seen before. She took us on adventures every single weekend. We went out in the woods. We met some locals. We sampled their moonshine. We went into sneaking into bars and watching live music, and every once in a while, we'd just rent a hotel, and we'd all lay around smoking, drinking, and fucking. I lost my virginity that summer. (laughs) Yeah, it was a great summer for me. Well, as camp started to close out, we got to the last week of camp. I was sitting at the registration table, signing in the kids, and I crossed the parking lot. <laughs> I saw this man-child. I don't even know what to call him. And I was floored. He was drop-dead gorgeous. And he looked like, I don't know if any of you remember River Phoenix with that blonde hair and ugh. My body went crazy for him. And I was sitting at the, at the registration table and I realized this was a camper walking up. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> and I looked at my friend and I was like, who's that? And she's like, oh, that's Miller. He comes every summer. His family drives him from Memphis. They bring him over here. Leave him for the whole week. And I was like, fuck. And she's like, no, 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 Julie. You know there's no fraternizing with the campers. Like, all right. All right. All right. It's okay. Now, I don't know if he felt the same way about me, but I could feel it every time I was around him. And it turns out, I was around him a lot. (laughs) I taught horseback riding, and Miller was in that class. And I taught jewelry making, and Miller was in that class. I don't think he made very many pieces of jewelry, though. I was teaching beginning swimming to like eight-year-old kids. Miller was in that class. (laughs) It was crazy, he was everywhere I was. And the worst part was during free time, when the kids could do whatever they want, I was a lifeguard and I got to sit on the deck and watch all these crazy little kids swimming together and I, I tried to try to make sure they didn't drown. But um, <laughs> it was really hard because Miller kept coming out of the water and laying beside me on the dock and I <laughs> was watching him and his belly and the way that the little drops of water were just kind of laying there on his taunt belly. And I, <laughs> No kids drown. But it's not necessarily due to me. (laughs) Sorry. Anyway, end of summer came around. End of camp came around. I watched him put his little duffel bag in his mom's car, and he drove away, and we waved at each other, and I thought that was the end of it. Well, after that summer... I became really close with Suzanne. We'd spend lots of time together. Every weekend, maybe once a month, we'd spend the same sort of weekends we had during camp. (laughs) I'd go up to the University of Tennessee in Knoxville where she went to school, and I don't know why my parents let me go, but 16-year-old Julie would go up and visit my friend Suzanne in college, (laughs) like there was nothing happening there, right? (laughs) She still snuck me in the bars. We'd go out dancing. We'd meet men and we'd fuck them. And then we'd go back, i go back to my life, my senior year in high school, <laughs> it was great. <laughs> but at the end of summer, I thought, you know what? I mean, at the beginning of summer, I thought, you know what, I'm gonna go back to that camp again, because that was the best time of my life. So minute the registration came out, I signed up. <sighs> you can't imagine my dismay. <laughs> I got the letter. They said, for some reason this summer, they were only allowing 18 year olds and over to be counselors, I don't know why. But I didn't go to camp that summer because I couldn't afford to be a counselor in training and spend the money to go to camp, so I got a babysitting job watching three kids pretty much by myself. Yeah, I mean, sad story, huh? (laughs) But at the end of summer, Suzanne called me up and she said, Hey, we're having one of our big last hurrah into the summer parties and it's going to be at a house near you. Our friend's going to host us all overnight and we really want you to be there. And I said, fuck yeah, I'm gonna be there. (laughs) And so I went into this party, I put on my cute little dress and I brought my sleeping bag and my bag and I was ready to go. And I knew I was gonna have a good time. There was gonna be drinking, smoking and fucking, right? Yeah. And so I got there, I got my first beer and I look across the room and guess what? There's Miller. (laughs) What the fuck? What's this? Oh, right. Miller was a counselor in training this year. I missed out on that, didn't I? But here he was at the party. My belly was fluttering. I walked over there and I said, Hey, I remember you from last year. And he said, Yeah, I remember you too. Yeah. And then this cute little girl came up and took his arm. And he said, Hey, that's my girlfriend, Jaina once again, right? So much opportunity lost here. <laughs> and I was like, hey, Jaden, nice to meet you.
1: <laughs>
2: and I went to the bathroom and I cried a little bit. <laughs> I pulled myself together. and went back out danced, drank a little more, smoked a little bit. It was a good evening overall, mostly. And I got to meet up, talk with some of my old friends, get to know them again. It was pretty good, pretty good night, but... By the time I got to that kitchen, I was, I was ready to just go to bed and forget about it <clears throat> Till I saw Miller and his girlfriend was passed out drunk. I didn't have to think about it real long. <laughs> <laughs> Took about two seconds. I grabbed his hand. We went and found a quiet place. <laughs> Nobody else was around, and it didn't matter because once we got there... There was nothing else but Miller. I've been waiting so long to touch this man child. It didn't matter that he was 15 years old. Oh, my fucking God. I got my hands all over his body. I touched him. I kissed him. I lost myself in him. I could feel it all up and down my body. And I just, I had to take his clothes off. I had to get him naked. And I had to see that belly again, that taunt little belly. It was still there believe it or not I ran my fingers down and there was his cock now I hadn't really thought about it very much but I don't know if you guys know this some of you have been 15 year old boys but I don't know if anybody's fucked a 15 year old boy before but there's no such thing as a recovery time oh my god I don't know how many times he came but he was always hard for me so we proceeded to fuck for the rest of the evening. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. I had him in every possible position. I had him. I was riding him on the couch. I was fucking him on the back of the couch. We were beside the couch. We were I don't know where we were. There wasn't I don't even remember where we were, but there was a couch there at some point. <laughs> we did everything we could possibly do and I don't I don't remember how long it was and I don't remember how short it was, but I do remember Finally at the end sitting there with him and seeing the light come up in the basement windows and realizing that that we'd been there all night long and I had finally felt that Circuit connected that I've been wanting connected for so long And we figured probably a good idea. He would go back lay in bed with (laughs) Jaina So she could wake up beside him Yeah, that was a good idea anyway (laughs) We got up the next morning, had breakfast, I was pouring my first mimosa. (laughs) Dana came out, she didn't look so hot, but Miller still did. (laughs) We exchanged a few sweet smiles and and eventually we said our goodbyes. I think we had one last really long hug and he went back to Memphis and I went back to Chattanooga. You know, 30 years later, I still remember that boy, (laughs) like nothing else. And I think there's people in the world who might have said I did the wrong thing, fucking a kid while his girlfriend was passed out drunk upstairs, but I don't regret it, (laughs) not at all.
1: Summertime when my girl was the envy, of every friend of mine. She slept safely in my arms. We were so young and invincible. Close lips, she was never one to kiss and tell. Those trips in the summer never went so well. Young love is such dumb love. Call it what you want, it was there. our hearts beat inside our chests leaving us gasping for every breath
0: That song was Kids in Love by Mayday Parade. Okay, it's time to talk about our dreams. Are you an aspiring pleasure professional? Do you want to learn the business behind the business of sex education? Recharge in nature while making new friends? And become the educator that people want to hire? I want to make sure that you know about Sex Geek Summer Camp. It's happening June 16th through 21st in Portland, Oregon, in person, In the woods, there's a pool, there's a 300-foot water slide, there's a bunch of really fun people who work really hard together to learn and then play really hard, too. As an aside, I'm considering being guest faculty this year for Sex Geek Summer Camp. I did it a few years ago, right before the pandemic, and I had a blast. So if you're interested, there's a link in the show notes or send me an email. It's Sex Geek Summer Camp, and it's happening really soon, so get going. I hate asking for help. But I need to ask you to do whatever you can to keep body going right now. I've told you before that body incurred huge losses during the pandemic and beyond, and that live theater of all kinds has really taken a serious hit. And right now, after three monumental emotional and personal losses, in the last six months I've lost my mom, my dad, my beloved St. Bernard Quake, I really need to step away from body to do some self-care. And since I'm self-employed, that's not possible without some sort of income while I grieve. But with your financial assistance, body can continue despite hard times. I love this thing I've created. The show is my life's work. I am not giving up. I really want every single one of these stories to be heard, not hidden from view. I love working with people to find their stories and letting them express themselves on stage in front of hundreds of people. And I believe that everyone has a story. And our stories, especially these intimate ones, help us understand and connect to one another in a completely unique way. There is no place like body storytelling where you can get a standing ovation for your honesty, your vulnerability. And nothing builds open-minded community like this thing we've built together. So I hate it, but I'm asking for your assistance. Every dollar you send my way is greatly appreciated. Right now, you can make a one-time donation to body storytelling on Venmo, Cash App, Buy Me a Coffee, PayPal. You got another way, I'll make it work. But of course, the best way to support body is ongoing support through Patreon. And that's at p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot slash body. It's how artists support themselves these days. Thank you in advance for your financial support for this podcast and live show. And if you're already a Patreon supporter, thank you so much for your ongoing support. As I said, this week was my birthday week. And if you were going to get me a gift, the greatest thing would be a written review for this podcast. We work really hard on this podcast, and it's really hard to sustain it at times like right now, but I'm trying, and you giving me encouraging words, you putting out what you like about this thing, I don't know how to tell people what this thing is. I've been doing it too long, but you know what you love about this podcast and what it means to you, so wherever you listen to your podcast, write a review. And tell people what you love about the Body Storytelling Podcast. I'd really, really appreciate it. And while I'm thanking people, I want to thank the people who make the podcast possible. Thank you to David Grossoff, to Mosa Maxwell-Smith, to Royland James, to Donald Mooney, and to podcast producer Roman Dan I'm sexual folklorist Dixie De La Tour, and this has been episode 268 of the Body Storytelling Podcast. Thanks for listening. i uh-huh.